He said, to the extent I desire to move through you, you must allow me to cut on the leader's cut. What's up, everybody? It's good to see you again. If this is your first time joining this conversation, whether you're watching it or listening to it, what's up? It's nice to meet you. My name's Preston, and one of my favorite things to do in life is to sit with anybody who wants to sit at a table where the Holy Spirit pulls up a chair just to talk to us. And if that's you, I'm down with you. And so this is one of the biggest reasons why I am loving doing this. And, and I'm feeling every week this growing measure of oil that God's pouring out on both of us, you and me, to be able to engage in this conversation. Uh, if you don't know uh, why we call this the leader's cut, I feel like the Lord gave me a word a while back uh, that when you study out his friends in scripture, to the extent that he wanted to use someone is the extent to which he would cut on them, their heart, uh, the flesh, whether it was Moses and Midian, whether it was David in the field of anonymity, you, you could go down the list. Um, this is a conversation that is not meant to be easy. Anytime the Holy Spirit pulls up a seat at our table, Remember, one of the ways we know the Holy Spirit's pulled up a seat at the table is when the conviction of the Holy Spirit enters the conversation. So I've just learned, kind of expect it, uh, but this is going to be a fun conversation because um, over the last month or so, uh, we've been talking a little bit about fear semi-consistently, and it seems like it's touched a nerve. And so today, what we're going to talk about is the opposite of fear. We're going to talk about peace. So let's pray. Let's open up our hearts and invite the Holy Spirit, heaven's surgeon, to cut on us anywhere our flesh needs to be cut upon. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so thankful that I'm not alone. And not only do I have the God of the universe promising to never leave me or forsake me, but he's also obsessed. God, I'm grateful that every single person you have on the other side of this conversation, I'm grateful that right now, I believe you are tangibly pursuing them. As they enter this conversation, Holy Spirit, I pray you would rest upon each of us. Would you anoint us to be in this conversation? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to receive everything God wants to say to us? Anywhere I need to be cut on. Spirit of the living God, would you cut on me? Anywhere they need to be cut on, I pray they would, right now in their hearts, just lay down on the surgeon's table and give you free reign in their hearts and lives. Do whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit, and help me not to get too riled up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, we are going to have some fun with this, and here's why. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is literally when I get a chance to sit across the table from someone like you and for the Holy Spirit just to literally enter in and rest upon the conversation and us in the conversation. And so I feel pretty strongly about some things. One of the things I feel strongly about related to you is this. I sense that there's some major progress ahead. Remember, one of the things I've tried to teach you is God moves excruciatingly slowly until he moves breathtakingly quickly. And I believe uh, there's some progress, some very quick progress coming. But I also sense the road to reach it isn't going to be easy. Preston, don't be giving me word curses like that. <laughs> it's not a word curse. It's a loving heads up. And here's one of the 
great and wonderful reminders that peace is one of God's favorite weapons to give us as we fight on the earth in this war. Now, in my opinion, there's kind of two uh, scriptural perspectives of peace. I kind of see an Old Testament definition of peace and and a New Testament definition-ish of peace. Just my perspective. Here's uh, how I try and define the Old Testament definition of peace. It's an accord, an agreement, which guarantees a lack of fighting. This is typically, whether we realize it or not, oftentimes the kind of peace we beg God for. We beg God for Old Testament peace. God, would you promise me that for the next 10 years of my life, there will be an utter lack of fighting? God's not going to make that promise because we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the unseen realm. Well, Preston, what's the New Testament definition of peace? Here's what I'd say, and this is the doozy. A strong sense of calm, no matter what. A strong sense of calm, no matter what's going on around me. If you got a Bible, I want you to do something. Even if you have to pause this episode to grab your Bible. And you may not like it, but I always like it when you grab uh, your paper, hardback, leather Bible, uh, even over your phone. Uh, Just get it in your hands, all right? The phone's fine. I'm just old school, okay? Acts chapter 27, I really do want you to read this, and we're going to go through a lot of this chapter, okay? And I'm kind of jumping up into the middle of it without giving you full context. You can study it out, uh, but I just don't have enough time. There's there's five points in this conversation, and and we got a lot of ground to cover, okay? And, And then we'll kind of make our way back to Acts 23 a little bit. Acts chapter 27 Verse 13 says, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. Okay, hit the pause button here. Uh, Paul's been arrested. He's on a ship headed towards Rome, but, but he's under arrest. And, and so this is a ship filled with sailors and prisoners. You got me? Okay. So the sailors see that there's a light wind that starts to blow. Hey, look. It's a light wind. So they pull up the anchor and they sail close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly. Here's the first thing I need you to understand about peace. If you're going to walk in more peace than you ever have at any point in your life so far. First thing, peace is tested in moments of change. Some of us are going to hate this. Some of us are going to think, oh, Only moments? That's fantastic. Let's talk about this. Have you ever been in a season where everything in life was just going phenomenally? You're just rocking along and everything is perfect? You you feel unstoppable, right? You wake up every morning smiling and you're so happy. And you find your heart kind of saying, I'm so glad I'm me and not them. I'm so blessed and this is just so awesome. And then, in a moment, things turn for the worst. Here you have these crew members traveling with these prisoners, and they assess the weather, and and they determine that the seas were calm. You can see them almost arrogantly looking at the fact there is hardly any wind, and the sea is like glass. And you can just see them saying to one another. You see the captain saying, To everybody on the ship, let's leave now because the sea is perfect, like glass. Let's get while the getting's good. And so they leave. They leave thinking there will not be an abrupt change in the weather. You know something? Maybe it's possible that some of you watching or listening to this don't have peace because you expected calm seas. Can I tell you something? There's a little bit of pride in that. I deserve calm seas. 
I've earned calm seas. I've earned a lack of fighting. A little bit of pride in the perspective that somebody deserves nothing but calm seas. If Jesus said, hey, there's going to be really big storms in this life, tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Here's what you got to remember. Pride always precedes a lack of peace. The sailors look out at the seas and they think, I've sailed in horrible seas before. 40-foot seas. This is calm. This ain't nothing. Let's go. Let's leave right now. Not thinking in a moment's notice, the weather could change. They could find themselves praying for their survival. It's quite possible when you look at your life and you look at your circumstances and your situation, it's quite possible that the reason you don't have peace is because you're walking in pride. I'll tell you what I've learned. When pride enters the conversation with God, peace always leaves. The communicator, lowercase c. I learned this the absolute hard way. I remember one time I was preaching and I was on, for me at that time, uh, at seven, the Young Adults Ministry back in Dallas, uh, I, I seemed to be on a little bit of a, a divine hot streak. And I wasn't ready to steward it clearly because I started to get arrogant about it. And I remember walking up on stage one time and I literally said to the Lord, as my feet hit going up the stairs, the stage of the platform, I remember in my heart saying to the Lord, I got this. And I will never forget what happened next. As I got to the pulpit, I sensed the Lord back away from me and say, great, I'm out of here. You take it from here. (laughs) I'm telling you, I've made more mistakes in my past because of pride. And so if we're going to run together, you're going to hear me try and beg you. Don't ever walk in pride. Here's why. Because pride is based on me. You don't want everything to be based on you. Pride comes down to me. I'm safe because I'm the strong one. I can battle any seas. I'm good to go. And I begin to become proud of the fact that I can weather any storm because my ship is unbreakable. You know what the worst part about having pride is? The fall. It's not worth it. So if you want peace, one of the things you've got to do is eliminate pride. In my opinion, God will not Give you a divine measure of peace if you are living in a demonic measure of pride. Pride says, I got this. Peace says, God's got this. Look back in verse 15. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. This is really important truth right here. Here's one of the ways you know you have peace. You don't have to be steering the boat. Some of you find yourself constantly saying, I just, I just have no peace. My advice, if that's you, is simple. Stop steering your boat. You're never going to have peace so long as you are the captain of your ship. And I, I just, it, it's a hard season because I just feel the enemy is resisting me. Here's what you got to remember. If you're walking in any pride at all, it isn't just the enemy that's resisting you. In fact, the enemy doesn't resist pride. He's, he fans the flames of pride. You need to remember, not every headwind that you experience in life is from the devil. God went on record and said, I myself, Preston, oppose the proud. Some of us are not struggling against our enemy. Some of us are just struggling against our father. Their ship wasn't moving. 
It wasn't going anywhere into this headwind. So what did they do? They teach us something really wise. They stop trying to make it. They stop trying to steer it. They realize, what good is this? I can't steer this ship in this storm. Here's what they learn. And they are teaching us. When it becomes fruitless to struggle, it's just wisdom to yield. It's one thing to wrestle with God for a blessing like Jacob did. But it's another thing entirely to wrestle with God just to get your own way. When is it fruitless to struggle, Preston? When you're wrestling with God over doing things your way. Look in verse 18. Let's keep going. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars. Watch this next line. Until at last, all hope was gone. Why would God ever allow you or me to get to a place where it seems like all hope is gone? Tell you what I think. It's a test. What will you do when it seems like all hope has been lost? This leads us to the second thing we need to understand about peace. Yes, peace is tested in moments of change. So if you're going through incredible change, these sailors went through a very abrupt change in the wind. Maybe you're in a season of change and you feel your peace isn't what it was before. Peace is tested in moments of change. But second thing, peace is tested in months, not just moments. If there's any part of you that was excited in this first part of the conversation going, oh, thank God, this test is only going to last a few moments. This is probably really bad news. Peace isn't just tested in moments. I've learned peace is tested in months. But remember, the point of any test from God is the outcome of the test, not the time it takes to finish it. So many of us want to breeze through the tests that God gives us in this life. Just hurry up, get the tests over with, rip off the band-aid. No, no, no. Sometimes these tests need to take a while. But the reality is how long it takes me to take the test is not nearly as important as passing the test. And I know we, we all hate to hear points like this. We get excited about hardship lasting only for a moment. It'll be over soon. Some of us get depressed when we realize it may last for months. Here's what you got to know. The longer the test goes, the greater the chance for fear. But I'll tell you something that's encouraging about peace. Peace is a weapon best used when it looks like you're going to lose. The longer the length of the storm, the more peace you're going to need. So instead of begging God to, to make the storm be over quickly, maybe we should start asking God to give us more than enough peace to more than just survive the storm. Just a thought. Let's keep going. Verse 21. No one had eaten on the ship for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together. My guy stands up to lead. And he says, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. I love this. If you you got to go study out this story. Because Paul, Paul literally is saying, I told you so. I tried to tell you before we left. And none of y'all listened to me. Watch what he says next in verse 22, though. Oh, he says, you would have avoided all this damage and loss. He's totally rubbing salt in their wounds. Verse 22, Paul says, but even though you didn't listen to me, take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Watch this next part. Even though the ship will go down. I love that Paul talks like this. 
Watch how, how he could be so calm and collected. Uh, delivering really bad news. Even though the ship will go down. Watch verse 23. For last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Paul says, hey, um, good news, bad news. Um, bad news first. The ship is going down. Good news, though. None of us are going to lose our lives. Okay. How in the world? Because we, we don't really process how, how violent this storm was. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat out on the ocean when the sea started to get scary. I don't know if you've been on a cruise ship in the middle of a storm. It, it's not just off-putting. It's downright terrifying. And especially the further away you are from shore, and they were in this story. How in the world could Paul be so calm under pressure. Well, we, we talk about this a lot on TLC. And it's his presence. That's the answer. Third thing, as we talk about peace, that we've got to remember. So where does peace come from? Peace comes from his presence. I wonder, for anyone watching or listening this, if there's anyone who would say, I haven't experienced peace in months, Preston. Well, if that's you, my first question to you would be, how often do you experience his presence? Some of you, I, I've been in the DMs on Instagram a lot uh, and in the comment section, just, just trying to continue the conversation. And, and in DMs, I find myself, I'm, I'm being asked a lot, you know, but how, how do I build a life? that has these things. And, and one of the things that, that you will hear me consistently say, binge his book, capital B book, and lead yourself in worship as many days of the week as you can. It, those are two of the ways I've cultivated or tried to cultivate a tent of meeting, a life that is filled or flooded with his tangible presence. And one of the biggest reasons why, a kid who lived with unbridled fear for over two years learns the value of peace. And once that kid learns the value of peace, he'll do anything to keep it. See, we point at God and, and say, where are you? What's happened? Why have you abandoned me? You just left me here, God, on the side of the road for dead. Where are you? And his response, I think, as it always is to this question he says Preston I never left I never got up from the table you did he promised to never leave me or forsake me if I don't feel the tangible presence of God it's a me thing not a him thing many people think well, I can get peace without his presence. It, it, listen, get in the comments. If you know how to get peace without God's presence, teach the rest of us because I have not learned how to do it. The number one way when I need peace the most, and, and you can't see it, but this, this door right here uh, is my prayer closet. And the more I need peace... <laughs> the more I find myself in that room on my face with my best friend. But you know, one of the things that keeps us kind of out of his presence, staring too much at our problems. You can't stare at God's face and your problems simultaneously. Too many people simply don't have peace because they can't stop staring at their problems. This reminds me, uh, years ago, I was in a staring contest with my youngest son. And it was the first time we'd ever been in a, a staring contest. He had done it at school and, and apparently learned he was pretty good at it, but he didn't tell me. 
So, so he comes home and he's like, Daddy, let's have a staring contest. So I'm like, all right, bro. You know, he was kind of feeling his oats. I said, all right, bro. And we start. And I can tell in the first 10 seconds, I'm about to get smashed. So I, I start playing dirty, like any great dad would do. I start snapping, <laughs> totally cheating, <laughs> snapping in front of his face, trying to distract him. And I am not exaggerating. That kid would not stop locking into and onto my eyes. No exaggeration. Live in that moment, God was teaching me something about what he was wanting from me and you. That no matter what is going on, the storms of life, collapse in the stock market, losing a job, losing my house, shock divorce, an affair from my spouse, eyes locked in and on the face of our heavenly father. You will never have peace if you can't stop staring at your problems. And the easiest way to stop staring at your problems is trade what you're staring at. Trade your problems for his face. Peace is the privilege of those with proper focus. The point of being in, in God's presence is to stand. It's then to lay on my face. More than anything, it's to stare. There are times I literally go into the presence of the Lord in my prayer closet, and I'm just standing. I'm, I'm pacing in there. And then 10 minutes later, I go from this confidence in the Lord, standing, warring, to laying on my face, doing everything I can to stare at his. Listen, I told you the opposite of fear is peace. The opposite of peace is fear. One of the ways you know you don't have peace is fear. See, when I went through my two-plus-year run battling a spirit of fear, one of the hardest things I've done in my life so far, I didn't understand part of the reason it was so easy for fear to get a hold on me because I didn't understand the necessity of the peace that only comes from the prince of peace. The evidence of fear is the absence of peace. You can't have both simultaneously. Here's a question for you, though. When you get scared, what do you do when you get scared? Just think about it for a sec. What do you do? What's your go-to when you get scared? Is it ice cream? Is it gossip? Is it shopping? What do you do when you feel really overwhelmed by fear? Paul should have been scared out of his mind on this ship in this storm. But he was not. He was calm because he was flooded with peace. And when you study out the how and the why, it's because he was a man who lived in God's presence. What do you do when you get scared? I remember when the Lord taught me this, what I should do when I get scared. And he taught this to me. Uh, at the end of my run, two-plus-year run, uh, battle with a spirit of fear. One night, one of my kids had a nightmare. And they were yelling and screaming. And, before, you know, you're, you're dead asleep. And before you can kind of get your wits about you, trying to figure out what's going on, I've got a four-year-old running into my room, crying, shaking me, waking me up, and jumping into my bed. Why? Because my presence is more powerful 
than their fears. And I remember when my child jumped into my bed in the middle of the night, gripped with fear and how quickly they became calm because of the peace that came with me. I remember the Lord saying, Preston, sweet son of mine, this is what you need to do. Every time you feel flooded by a spirit of fear, do what your kids do. Jump in daddy's bed. How do, you, how do I know that my presence is more powerful than their fears? Here's how I know. I learn they never got scared in my bed. It's interesting to me to know that when my kids get scared, they don't ask me to come to them. They came to me. Remember Cody's song, Run to the Father? And I know it's, it's an altar type song, but th this is a phrase we should all remember, especially those of us who have a little trouble in the season of life battling fear. Run to daddy's bed. I know some of you get uncomfortable when I talk about God the Father and use the word daddy, and I don't address him as daddy God, not that there's anything wrong with that. So don't, don't take me out of context. But, but listen, this is how my heavenly father taught me one of the fastest ways to overcome fear. Do what your children do, Preston. Jump in daddy's bed. Draw near to me, Preston. My presence is more powerful than your fears, son. You and I would have more peace if you weren't our last resort. I'm telling you right now, you would have more peace more quickly if God wasn't your last resort, but he was your first response. You want peace? Get in his presence. Your father's presence is more powerful than all of your fears. Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken. Why? For he is right beside me. This is how a baby boy walking in God-given strength, a baby girl walking in God-given strength talks. I will not be shaken. Not because I'm strong, not because I'm something, but because he is right beside me. Paul has confidence because the angel came and stood beside him. God didn't send it in a scroll. He doesn't yell it from heaven. He sends a representative to stand with Paul. Paul says, chill out, boys. Ship's going down. Don't worry, we aren't. Look in verse 24. Paul says, here's what the angel said. Angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. Fear not. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, Paul says, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. <laughs> I love Paul's sense of humor. I mean, he's, he's just on a hot streak of, of divine dimes. And then he throws in some divine sarcasm. Is like, yeah, yeah, but we're going to be shipwrecked on an island. Don't forget what I told you. Everything's going to be okay, but we're going down. The ship's going down, but we aren't. This is how you know you're walking closely with God. When you can be so calmly matter of fact about really bad news, because you're so obsessed with and overwhelmed by the good news. Peace comes from his presence. This brings us to the next thing that I kind of learned going through my two plus year run on fear. Peace comes from his word. The peace of God 
It's always connected to the word of God. We read you verse 25 again. Paul says, so take courage. For I believe God, it will be just as he said. Peace can't come from his word if you're not willing to believe his word. I love that God makes sure to throw this in this passage. God spoke, but Paul had to believe. Too many times, we should have peace, but don't simply because we don't believe what God has already told us. How or why is this the case? It's pretty simple. The longer we wait to see God do something he told us he would do, the more easy it is to start believing he will never do it. Or to stop believing he will ever do it. Here's what amazes me. Paul was calm before this angel ever visited him. Think about this. Yeah, peace came from presence. Paul was calm before the presence of the angel sent by God. How? Well, it's because this wasn't the first word he had ever received about going to Rome. Listen, peace is confirmed through another word but it's conceived in the first word. If you're in Acts 27, flip back to Acts 23. I want to show you the first word about Rome. God had already told him long before the storm. Watch this. Acts chapter 23, verses 9, 10, and 11. So there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an, or an angel spoke to him. As the conflict grew more violent, the commander was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. That night, listen to this. Here was the first word. Acts 27, when the angel visited, wasn't the first word. It was the confirming word. That night, verse 11 says, the Lord appeared to Paul. The Lord. The confirmation came through the angel. But the first word came through the Lord. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged. Paul, listen, just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. And you know when Paul heard this, this this is a guarantee. The Lord is saying, you must and so you will. That's the implication here. So I want to talk for a minute about confirmation. Okay, I'm passionate about confirmation because it's one of my favorite lessons I feel the Lord's ever taught me thus far. If you've run with me for any amount of time, I talk a lot about hearing from God. I've told you before, uh, we never, ever, ever, ever elevate something we sense the Lord might be saying to us on the same level as the inspired word of God. Okay, not, uh, this is not equitable. This, these are inequitable things. Okay, I am fallen, frail, and I miss here from time to time. And this is why I believe God loves to give his children confirmation. Remember, God's not the author of confusion. And what's the easiest way not to live in confusion? To consistently have confirmation. Think about it like this. Let's say... After school today, I say to one of my boys, uh, hey, I need you to run by the store on your way home. But in the background, I hear a bunch of screaming and, and Tyler can hardly hear me. And, and so, uh, I, but I just say it one time. I don't repeat myself. I just say it once. I'm probably not going to be too confident if he's saying, what, what daddy, I can't, I can't hear you. I'm probably not going to be too confident that he's going to do what I ask him to do. Because when I said it, he wasn't able to completely hear it. Here's what God is like. In a situation like that, where I might be a little flooded, if I'm Tyler and there's a lot of thoughts going on and I'm having trouble hearing the Lord. A perfect daddy doesn't just say it one time. A perfect daddy loves to repeat himself for his children. 
So he sends a divine text. Different method of communication. Be like me, texting Tyler. Hey, buddy, no, it was loud. Just wanted to make sure you heard what I said. Would you stop by the store, pick up dinner on the way home? Hey, don't let this sound too elementary. The enemy is the author of confusion. The biggest way God silences the voice of the enemy when he tries to bring in a cloud of confusion over our heads is confirmation. He repeats himself. Confirmation is a gift God gives to his children who live and walk by faith. Hear me. Not just visit and sit in the pew. Preston, I don't, I don't feel like God confirms anything to me. Here's what I'd say. If you're not going anywhere, if you're not following him anywhere, there's no need for conf- confirmation because you're, you're not doing anything or going anywhere. But the more you live and walk by faith, I promise you, the more confirmation you're going to have. Biggest decisions in, in my and Holly's life, God has confirmed the most. God, should we do this? And then 24 hours later, God says something so clearly through someone to confirm what we'd heard. Yes, we're to do this. People ask me, well, Preston, when we talk about hearing God and we talk about confirmation, how do I get more confirmation? How do I hear more words from the Lord? Here's a really tough thing to kind of talk about. Question. You, you want more words from the Lord? You want more confirmation? You want the volume of his voice to be ratcheted up louder than ever before? Question to ponder. Why would God give you a new word? When you won't steward his written word, which he's already given you. How can I make the case before the Lord that I want to hear him speak if I never or hardly ever open up his book and read his words? You want more peace? Get in his word and get a word. Here's the last thing we need to talk about. Uh, as we wrap up our conversation on peace. Peace ain't picky, bro. You can't have peace and be picky. And and this, I remember the first time the Lord really helped me see this in the context of this moment in Paul's life. Because Paul, we've talked about this before, Paul really teaches us about contentment. I preached on this uh, last week. Paul wrote something incredible about this idea of peace not being picky. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, he says, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, though, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. There's a moment on the ship. Everything's been thrown overboard. Nobody's eaten in days. And I've learned how to live with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, whether with plenty or little. Paul says, I've learned to be content. Let me give you the definition of the word contentment. Contentment is the ability to have peace without anything changing. Holla at your boy. Contentment is the ability to have peace without anything changing. We spend so much time talking to God about, God, please change my circumstance. Please change my circumstance. And I wonder if God isn't just going, Preston, I'm trying to teach you how to gain more peace without anything changing. What an amazing compliment from the God of the universe that he would ever look in your direction and say, I want to teach you how to have peace even when the storm gets worse. I don't want you to be somebody who needs a lack of fighting to experience peace. 
I want you to have a divine sense of calm no matter what, whether anything changes in your circumstances or not. Back in Acts 27, starting in verse 39, we start wrapping up the story here. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach. Get the picture here, okay? And they wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. Storm's still going, so they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. Watch this. You, you know they have to be thinking, there's, there's the shore. We made it. We survived. Ha, Paul, you were wrong. The ship ain't going down, bro. There's the shore. Watch what happens next. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Total panic on the ship right now as it's taking on water. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others, and this is so huge, the others who couldn't swim held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone, everyone on the boat, whether sailor or passenger, everyone escaped safely to shore. We got to talk about this because this, this passage right here is absolutely filthy. Some of you have been in a storm so long that you feel like this ship. You already lost everything. Everything had been thrown off the boat. If that's you, let me just encourage you. What you've lost is not evidence that you will not get there. It's actually evidence that you're almost there. You need to stop focusing on what this storm has cost you instead of what this storm has brought you. Let me show you. What you see as a plank from a ship that just sank, God sees as a flotation device. What you call trash and turmoil, God calls immediate transportation. Notice the angel had said, God has spared everybody on this boat, Paul. Everyone's going to live. But now we find out in this passage that not everybody in the boat can swim. So what are those going to do who can't swim? They've already thrown everything off the boat. There's nothing to hold on to. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that the reason God crashed the ship on that shoal is because some of the prisoners and passengers could not swim. And so he broke the boat. The boat wasn't the hero of the story. The hero of the story was the God who broke up the boat to get planks so that those who couldn't swim would have something to hold on to. I hope you catch this. Some of us are yelling at God, you cost me a ship. You cost me a business, God. But you don't realize you're one of the ones that can't swim. And God says, that's why I gave you a plank. And that plank cost you that boat. But don't worry. I got a whole fleet of boats. Can you just get this picture for a sec, how stupid we can be? We can be so stupid and so picky about being rescued and storms coming to an end. It's like the way we think the story should have gone down if we were on that boat is the most amazing cruise ship pulls up next to the, the boat in the storm and says, hey, just come over here. We got food for days. All you can eat. We got everything you could want. We got shows. We got a casino. Come on over. We expect if God's going to rescue us, 
it has to be a massive jump up. But I will tell you one of the things I've learned. Sometimes God chooses to rescue you with a plank. You know how stupid it would be? If you were expecting a cruise ship to rescue you in that storm and the ship sinks, is smashed up on purpose to give you a plank and you look at that plank not being able to swim and go, God, I ain't, I ain't taking this plank. I'm waiting for the cruise ship. Listen, some of us are dying on the inside emotionally because we are too, and I'm going to use strong language here, pissed off about the plank. Who cares how he rescues me? Man, I celebrate the fact that he just rescued me. Whether it's a, another boat or my boat sinks and all I have left is a plank. I want to be really careful. I just felt the Holy Spirit say something. Somebody in this conversation right now is going through and just experienced a really terrible divorce they didn't see coming. They never expected the ship to sink. I want to be so sensitive. God gave you your children as the plank. If you wouldn't have had the boat, and I'm sorry for what, your spouse did. It's not right. It should have never been done. I'm sorry the boat sank. But I'm not sorry. God gave you those planks. Those children. Whom God is using to help rescue you in this really dark time of your life. Get on Instagram and DM me if that's you. Because I want to pray over you. I feel like I can see it as clear as day. Please don't stare at the ship that went down. Celebrate the fact that God sent you a plank. Because if he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have given you those babies, you and I both know. That ship going down might have cost you your life. But God, who is so obsessively in love with you, sent you some planks to keep you afloat on your way to the shore. Some people have gotten so focused on how they'll get there that they don't even care if they get there. Who cares if you get to the shore by plank or by cruise ship? Peace is not concerned with how. God desires you to have peace. He desires that you have incredible amounts of his peace. In fact, it's his desire that you be so calm, no matter what, that the people around you don't even understand it. He wants you to be so calm <laughs> that they actually think something's wrong with you. The only way that will ever be possible in the storms of this life is if we receive peace from the prince who alone dispenses peace. I need you to understand I think there might be a storm or two ahead. Relax. Get a word. Get in his presence. Understand that it's not healthy to measure how long the storm lasts. It's just going to make you more bitter and frustrated. And certainly don't get picky on how you're rescued out of the storm. One of the sweetest things God could do for you is possibly 
Break apart the boat. Break apart the job. So that he could make sure you could get a specific plank that was designed to carry you to shore. Step into the next season of your life. I love you so much. I, I hope, hope you don't just hear that and like, oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I promise I wouldn't be doing this if God didn't tell me to do it. And if he didn't give me such a love for you. I love you so much. And if you're in a storm right now, I want to pray over you. And if you're battling fear right now, I want to pray over you. And if you need more peace right now, I want to pray over you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. You've done it again. It's amazing. It's amazing. What happens when you sweep into the room? I'm not going to lie. It's like sometimes I, in the back of my mind, I think, well, he may not this time. And then you always do. That's not a leader's cut thing. That's an our great God thing. You love to sweep into every room we ever find ourselves in. And God, you've done it again. And Lord, I pray over my brothers and sisters who are in a storm right now. The waves are raging. The winds are howling. Fears everywhere. Holy Spirit, I pray that your presence right now, wherever they are, wherever on the seas they are, I pray your presence would be so tangible that they would feel it like a blanket wrapping them up right now. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd visit them the same way the angel visited Paul that night on the ship. No matter how loud the sirens rage and roar, no matter how scary the storms and seas might be, Holy Spirit, you are the capital C Comforter. And we need your presence. Would you visit my brothers and sisters? For my spiritual siblings who are battling fear, Lord, you know I know how that feels. Holy Spirit, I pray you to visit my brothers and sisters who are battling fear right now. I pray you would bring, O Prince of Peace, a measure of peace that shoves it in the enemy's face. You are with them. No matter how dark it seems, no matter how scary it is, God, you are with them. And it will be as you said it will be because your word never returns void. If you say it will be, it is. Holy Spirit, help us. We all need more peace. And if there's a few storms ahead that we don't see coming, would you begin to divinely build our capacity to carry more peace so that when our boat finds its way into a scary storm, that even if all the other people on the ship are freaking out, we are not. Because you are with us. You've already spoken to us. God, thank you. Thank you for every cut that you made during this conversation. I pray the scales would fall off of our eyes. 
and every cut you made, our flesh would fall off and die, thereby making room, more room for your spirit to have your way in it. God, would you open up the windows of heaven and so extravagantly overwhelm my brothers and sisters with your richest blessings in every area of their lives that it renders them speechless and takes their breath away. Love them, Lord, and I know you love them even more. Would you bless them, especially those in the midst of a storm? In Jesus' name, amen. I love it. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Even the cuts, even the conviction. This is just how we're going to roll. This is how we grow. I love you so much. And I can't wait to see you next week.